Recently, I heard a local businessman commenting on his vision for the future. And he said, and this is what I heard him say, and he said this rather apologetically, quote, I'm sorry, but six months out is about as far as I can see these days. Interestingly enough, at that very moment, I can remember saying to myself, wow, this guy can see six months out. Man, that's pretty good. So why would I have found this man's comment so amazing? Well, the way things have been going lately with this rather lengthy COVID-19 environment in which we live, most people I know are still trying to find ways to adjust to a new normal, new normalcy in their life. They're trying to get comfortable with placing their feet firmly below themselves on a daily basis. I mean, just learning how to live in the present moment, let alone thinking much at all about what the future may or may not hold for them. Let me give you an example. Wendy and I, just the other day, we were talking with our Oregon family about our plans to be with them in the Pacific Northwest next summer, uh, the summer of 2021. And as we were concluding the conversation, I can remember saying something like, yeah, we can't wait to be up there next summer. But then again, that's what we thought would happen this summer. And look what happened. Honestly, really, when you think about it, it's no wonder so many people today are struggling to think as far as the next weekend. So why talk about looking toward the future this week? Why even think about looking ahead when so many people, obviously not everyone, but when so many people are having a tough time just getting through life one day at a time. And why would someone stand on their tiptoes? Maybe for exercise, but maybe something else is going on. Perhaps they'd stand on their tiptoes with the goal of seeing something more, something that seems to possibly escape their gaze. Well, I'm reading to you again from the first letter that Peter wrote to his listeners, chapter one. And these are, this is in a similar area as we did a few weeks ago, but there's some added verses here. From Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's people who are scattered like foreigners in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father decided to choose you as his people, and his spirit has made you holy. You have obeyed Jesus and are sprinkled with his blood. I pray that God will be kind to you and will keep on giving you peace. You know, you've never seen Jesus and you don't see him now, but still you love him and have faith in him and no words can tell how glad and happy you are to be saved. That's why you have faith. Some prophets told how kind God would be to you and they searched hard to find out more about the way you would be saved. The Spirit of Christ was in them and was telling them how Christ would suffer and would then be given great honor. So they searched to find out exactly who Christ would be and when this would happen. But they were told that they were serving you and not themselves. They preached to you by the power of the Holy Spirit who was sent from heaven. And their message 
was only for you, even though angels would like to know more about it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God is our response. Well, recently I just sensed an urgency to go back and take another look at the first Peter, uh, Peter's first letter, first Peter chapter one. And while rereading Peter's sermon, I noticed something that I had never questioned before. And I read it to you toward the latter part of today's reading. And that's this, that the angels so want to learn about the way God carries out his business they stand on their tiptoes so they can take in every detail. You know, it's kind of like I do when I go out in our backyard and I want to see what's going on in the alley, but I can't quite. So I go toward the fence and I stand on my tiptoes so I can look just over the top edge of the fence to see what's going on. But let's get back to today's reading. Angels standing on tiptoe? What? Huh? I never heard of that before. It is a pretty cool idea when you stop and think about it. Well, our dog Brownie, which I know I've been talking a lot about lately, well, he doesn't actually stand on his tiptoes. But I can tell you this, he wastes no time jumping up on the top edge of the sofa when he wants a clear look at what's happening in the driveway and what's happening in the street that runs adjacent to our home. His ears perk up, his head and his neck are super erect, and his body just seems poised and ready to jump. It's as if Brownie is saying to the world, hey, I want to know exactly what's going on outside and I want to be right in the middle of it too. Well, over the last few weeks, if you've looked at what I believe to be some of the most important core beliefs. If you've been part of the sermon series, then you know that we've taken a closer look at uh, some of our values, philosophies, and I'm going to say basic life tools that are needed for any day. But especially, they're needed now as we're all trying to find our way into the future, a day at a time, some of us a minute at a time. And if you've been following along in the weekly message, oh, I'd say over the last month or so, then you know that I've referred to these daily tools or philosophies or a way of seeing the world. I referred to them as cornerstones. Of course, you might remember we started with Jesus as the chief cornerstone, as Peter tells us about in 1 Peter chapter 1. We then shifted to a discussion about solid ground. That was a real favorite. We're perhaps a bit shaken up last week by the message about having each other's back. And then we decided, I decided, we'd take a fork in the road this week and zero in on being hopeful, standing on tiptoe, knowing that God does indeed have a plan and a purpose for us even if we can't quite see it yet. Well, I want to take a pause for a moment and share with you what I'm calling a reality check. Listen, I fully re realize that standing on tiptoe is not exactly easy for a lot of folks these days. In fact, most of us know several people 
who would count the day ahead as a real success if they were able to just stand up under their very own power. And the day would be a real game changer if they were able to walk to the kitchen and back, unassisted by themselves. That said, it's fair to say that many of us today can benefit from constant reminders that God is still in charge of a world that sometimes appears to be either breaking apart at the seams, stopping altogether, or even melting into a heap of dust and ashes. So what more can we say about the biblical passage before us this week? Well, similar to other biblical texts that introduce and discuss how God acts in the world, this passage in 1 Peter states a couple things. Number one, the prophets are on board. They had already learned and understood, and they had a sense of the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. They had a sense, but then again, that sense was only an inkling of what God would do and how the God of Israel might begin bringing to the fore his saving action in the world. They knew that. They articulated it differently, but they knew that. Secondly, the text also suggests that these same prophets knew that other faithful people would be following them, coming after them someday, and would need to know about God and how God intends to bring about his saving action through the work of Jesus Christ in the world. Now, they didn't necessarily know that it was Jesus of Nazareth born when he was born and walking the earth when he walked the earth. But they did know, without a question, that God promised a Savior and that God would come into the world and change things and redeem things for the better. You know, Peter is telling his hearers here that he did not concoct some fable to make them feel good. No, to the contrary, Peter is telling them clearly with confidence they can fully trust what he is proclaiming here. And all this about placing God's ongoing plan of salvation in the hands of the prophets, which Peter spoke of. I know it sounds like a really good Bible study. Well done, Peter. Excellent job. But there's really nothing new here, though, is there? So what I find to be very curious and really stimulating about this week's reading that I shared with you is this. Unlike other texts that speak of God's plan of salvation, Peter here, well, I'm just going to say it this way. I think Peter drops a bomb and he says, hey, in the midst of all this good stuff about God and salvation and the way God acts in the world, you need to know the angels are standing on tiptoe because all these years, the angels too, they also have wanted to know and understand exactly how God is working in the world to bring about his saving action. But they still can't wait to find out his next move. It's like me going into the backyard and running to the fence and standing on tiptoe and looking over the top of the fence to find out what's going on in the alley. They can't wait to find out God's next move in this story of salvation. 
Now, I don't know where you are with this, so you might be saying the same thing I first said. What? The angels? They want to know how God works? You mean the angels don't know how God works? You mean the angels are only partially, if at all, informed about God's plan to redeem the world? Is that really what's going on here? You know, friends, all this time, I thought the angels were God's support staff, God's messengers. You know, I never once considered that the, the, the thought that the angels were on a, a quote, need-to-know basis and that God has never brought them in on the whole plan of salvation because they, quote, they don't need to really know. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is a very radical thought for me. But give me a minute. This is just shaking up some of my core beliefs today. You know, Pastor Ray Pritchard, in a sermon several years ago, made some startling observations. And it's kind of long here, but wow, he's got some powerful things to say. The final phrase of our text, verse 12, tells us that angels long to look into the things relating to our salvation. There are two different Greek words here. One means to stand on tiptoe as if you are at the back of a crowd trying to watch a parade. The other means to stoop down. It's the same word used for Peter and John when they stooped down to look inside the empty tomb on Easter morning. The angels are so eager to understand God's grace that they stand on tiptoe and they bend down from the battlements of heaven to marvel at the unfolding plan of salvation. This is exactly the reverse of the way we think of it. If I told you that I had a special door that let me look into the realm of the angels, all of you would crowd around that door just to get a glimpse of what's on the other side. But the Bible never encourages us to peek into the angelic realm. Here we are told the angels long to look, and they long to understand our salvation. And then... Pastor Pritchard talks about a uh, Renaissance painter who painted this beautiful picture with this smoky background uh, placed in the darkness and a couple of faces of angels as they look in at a communion scene with Jesus and his disciples. He says there's a sense of drama and tension in this painting as the disciples struggle to understand what's, what's actually happening before them. Above the table, however, an oil lamp gives off clouds of smoke. And Tintoretto, who painted Angels in the Smoke, the angels are watching from above. Their faces are strangely curious as they marvel at what Jesus, the Son of God, is about to do at this communion scene, gathered around this table with his closest friends. That is exactly the idea that Peter is driving at in our reading today. You know, I checked up on Pastor Pritchard. I checked up on his argument in the Enduring Word commentary, which says this, quote, God wants the angels to look in on what he's doing in the church. And the idea is that the angels are bending over with intense interest and a desire to learn. Therefore, the word here in the text, quote, denotes a strong interest 
or craving on the part of the angels. You know, in today's text in 1 Peter, the thoughts about the nature of the angels is bursting with hope. It bursts with curiosity, wonder, and awe, and pure enjoyment as the angels eagerly anticipate what God is doing and what God plans to do in our daily lives. So what do you suppose the Apostle Peter is pointing out here? What's he trying to tell us? What is it he really wants to know? And why is he talking about the, the fact that the angels are watching and waiting? They're standing on tiptoe, wondering what on earth God has up his divine sleeve. Yes, I think a longing to endure pain and stay alive and a yearning to fulfill God's plan was where Peter intended to go with his writing here. After all, Peter, Peter knew full well the power of persecution and violence that preyed on the early church. And like a roaring lion, that first persecution, that fierce persecution, had the potential to extinguish any and all flames of hope that might otherwise give someone enough strength to stand on their tiptoes. But Peter knew better. Peter didn't, didn't he know better? Peter was convinced that nothing could ever stand in the way if they fully accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord, their Savior, and their chief cornerstone in life. Yes, Peter knew that Jesus' resurrection meant it was time for all to stand on their tiptoes in anticipation of the new life beyond the grave that awaited them. And that same new life beyond the grave awaits you and awaits me. Finally, as a challenge for this week, I leave you with a potentially mysterious, challenging thought and a couple important questions to ponder. So here goes. The Apostle Peter was saying to his original hearers, those who initially received this letter, and even to you and to me today, this is what he was saying. You are specially chosen by God, and you are privileged to know and understand things that not even the angels know about yet. And these angels have a ravenous craving to see God doing his awesome deeds, his marvelous works, in the lives of his people, not only long ago, but even in our lives today. Here's the first question. What's the chance that our faces, like those of the angels, are strangely curious as we, too, stand on tiptoe, locking our gaze on what the future holds for us? And here's the second question. So if we're not especially curious about what God is doing in our lives, and if we find ourselves being trapped by COVID brain or all of our days seem to be a blurs day, then what will it take for us to literally or figuratively stand on our tiptoes and lock our gaze on what the future holds for us? Well, obviously, friends, I cannot answer either one of these questions for you, but I can share with you some breaking news, okay? All right, I need your attention. The day 
Yuma First United Methodist Church can begin to implement phase one of the campus reopening project is on the calendar. Secondly, a great deal of the infrastructure to allow for the first step in reopening is being carefully analyzed and wisely initiated by your church leadership team in the coming weeks. More news and a schedule of future events on campus are forthcoming. Please continue to check your email and your voicemail on your phone. Continue to check those at least once a week. For today, for today, I'm asking you, every one of you, join me patiently, gracefully, and with strangely curious faces, just like the angels, standing on your tiptoes with the assurance that God has up his divine sleeve very exciting plans for us at Yuma First Church. So join me. Join me today. Join me this week standing on tiptoe. Why? I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says the angels are standing on tiptoe, bursting with hope, curiosity, wonder, and awe as they each moment anticipate what God is already doing in the world around us. Amen and amen.